How many of you have ever heard me say that I'm addicted to preaching? Anybody hear me say that? Some of you heard me say that. So see, today I get to preach twice. I went up to, uh, well, last week I didn't get to preach at all. So I was up to New London, and I told them I have got to leave before 11. And I discovered if you come down 45 to 10 and straight over, you can make it in 30 minutes. Let's bow our heads for just a moment of silent prayer. Amen. I don't know how many remember the last two sermons that I've preached here, but the last two sermons were really the first third, the second third, and today is the third third of it. Before I, Is there anybody here who didn't hear that sermon? I won't preach it, but you can listen to it online or you can read Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Let me just review it for just a second. Uh, in verse 8 of Titus 3, it says, We have a faithful saying. And these things I will that you affirm. How often? Anybody remember? Constantly. How often is constantly? All the time. And if those who have believed in God will affirm these things constantly, they will discover that they have the desire and the strength to do what's right and to keep doing what is right. How remember that? And strangely enough, one of the texts that is part of that faithful saying is verse 5. And verse 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. And in our unborn again state, we look at that and say, well, we're saved by mercy, not by good works. Why do we have to worry about doing good works? But when you are a born again Christian and you realize that Jesus saves you by his mercy and not by his good works, by your good works, you are so filled with love and gratitude that you're not saying, what do I have to do? You're saying, what can I do for you? How many of you ever noticed that when you love someone, you're not trying to figure out how little you can get by with? Now, I remember when I was in the academy, and I know the guys were just joking. And I don't think they ever let the girls knew what they were joking about. But I can remember they would be combing their hair. And I had an interest. My roommate is a, from academy is a, a science teacher. And very good. He was very precise. And he fixed a place in our closet. So there was a mirror here. And a mirror up here so that you could see the back of your head. So that when you were combing your... How many know that when you're in high school, at least back in the 60s, you wanted your hair to look nice for your girlfriend? And we'd have guys... Half the guys in the dorm would want to come in our closet and stand there to comb their hair. And we would hear phrases that would say, Oh, that's good enough for the kind of girls I date. (laughs) Now, how many many girls would like to marry a guy who says, I'm good enough for the kind of girls I'm married to? How many know my wife? At least a little bit. What would you think of me if you happened to overhear me say to somebody else, I'm not all that I should be, but I'm good enough for Alma. You'd want to kick me down the stairs, wouldn't you? And you see the kind of religion that says, well, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm good enough. (sighs) Go someplace else. Well, no, you need to come here and get straightened out. But you see, the kind of religion that God wants you to have is not the kind of religion that is saying, how much more do I have to do? The kind of religion that you affirm these things constantly and you're all the time trying to figure out new ways to please God. You wake up in the morning and say, I wonder what I can do today to make God happy. Or, I wonder what I can do today to make Satan mad. (laughs) If you make God happy, you're going to make Satan mad. Now, I'm going to tell you, Four stories, and the first three stories are about the fourth story, all right? So I'm going to tell you three short stories first. I gave a Bible study on Titus chapter 3, 
And I told a story, the main story I'm going to tell, to a lady. And I went back the next week. And she says, you know that story you told me last week about the lady that had such a hard time quitting smoking? I says, yeah. She says, well, I don't have that problem, but I got another one. How many have other problems besides that one? Some have that one. Some have, We all have some problems. She says, I get road rage. I, I, I have a hot temper. I get mad real easy. And she says, last week I was on my way up to Dallas. Because I passed. How many know I used to live in Texas? And uh, she said, uh, she says, when people cut me off in traffic, I get so mad. She says, I honk my horn. I say things to them they can't hear. I wave at them with one finger. She says, I get really mad. She says, last week I was on the way up to Dallas. The traffic's bad. Somebody caught me off in traffic. And I started to go all the stuff and all the bad stuff I do for. And all of a sudden I remember the story you told. And I started doing what you told that lady to do. And she says, I just calmed right down. She says, I smiled at them. And I took all five fingers. Says, go ahead. Just, it's all right. I think that's good. That'll keep you from having a heart attack. That'll keep you from growing ulcers. I had a man come to my church prayer meeting night, and I told this story like I always like to do. And he, when he came back the next week, he raised his hand before I started. He says, you know that story you told last week about the lady who tried so hard to quit smoking and couldn't quit? I said, yeah. He says, well, I've been chewing tobacco since I was nine. I'm 35 now. And he says, I know it's terrible. I know it does terrible things. My, he says, I've done everything I know to do to quit. And no matter what I try, I still can't quit chewing. But he said, I started doing this last week, what you told that lady to do. And he says, I haven't chewed for a week, and I know I've got the victory. I'll never chew it again. How many little interested in what that story is? Well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to tell you another one. I had a young man in my church came about five months after I told this story. And he says, Pastor, do you remember your story you told about the lady who couldn't quit smoking? I says, yes, I do. He says, well, I've had a problem with pornography for almost 30 years. Now, I have taken a class down at Andrews University about five years ago on addictions. And they talk about addiction to heroin and addiction to alcohol and addiction to tobacco. But the most damaging addiction in America right now is pornography. And they said it is harder to break than, than heroin or tobacco. It's a terrible addiction. And uh, for a long time, I had read what Ellen White says about that kind of addiction and, and what you do to yourself. And she says it can cause prowess. And people say, oh, no, no. But I went to visit a little over a year ago an old friend of mine who's totally paralyzed and he says it was from that. It was from that. Now, that's scary. But anyway, this guy says, I've had this addiction for almost 30 years. And he says, I didn't think I could ever overcome it. But I started doing what you told that lady to do to quit smoking. She said, he says, I've gotten the victory over it. He says, it's been five months since the last time that I've looked at that stuff and abused myself. Is there power in the blood? But we need to know how to. Now, how many want to hear this story? I'm, all right, now I'll tell you the story. Little church out in Wyoming, a little town called Riverton. And a lady showed up in my church and sat right by the back door. And it was like I was up in New London because I had to leave right away to get down to the other church 30 miles away. But when you're a preacher and you've been a preacher a while, you can tell who is needing what you have to say that day because they're paying attention. Uh, there's a body language about listening. And she was. 
And so when I finished, I was hurrying out the back door because I had to hurry down to the other church. But I stopped where she was sitting. And I said, you came here for business today, didn't you? She said, yeah, I did. I said, well, I've got to hurry to the other church. But if you'll give me your name and address, my wife and I will stop by this afternoon because I'd like to tell you more. She said, I'd like to hear more. So that afternoon, we went by her little trailer. And uh, we came in, and, and she just told a little about, her, about herself. She says, today was the first time in 15 years that I've been in any church of any denomination. And she says, besides that, I have broken all the Ten Commandments but one. She says, I haven't killed anybody yet. And I found out later she was referring to her husband because that's why she was in my town. She was getting away from her husband, and she'd moved in that little trailer. And her life was just falling all apart. Then she told me, she says, the last time I was in church was when I graduated from, and she named the Seventh-day Adventist school. And she said, uh, I was smoking. I went all four years, lived in the dormitory. But she says, not only am I a bad kid, but I was a sneaky bad kid. They never caught me. She says, I knew how to use the air freshener, and I knew how to use mouth of the old, you know. And she says, they never caught me. And the night that I walked down the aisle with my diploma was the last time I've been in any church of any denomination. And she says, I've lived a terrible life. And then she said, is there still hope for me? Now, I'll tell you, this preacher gets excited when I know that the Holy Spirit has already done the hard part because the hard part is trying to tell sinners that they're lost because they say, well, I'm as good as you are. I know people in church that are worse. All that kind of stuff that they give excuses. But when the Holy Spirit has already brought conviction and they already know I'm a sinner and I'm lost, is there any hope for me? I get excited because I know I get to give my favorite Bible study, and I did. And I gave them the, the Titus 3 Bible study. There's all the texts that go into it. And as I have told you in that study, the number one thing I want people to get out of that is the text out of of uh, Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on them the iniquity of us all. I says, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then God takes all of your sin and puts it on Jesus. And Jesus dies for it. How many have heard the song? When he was on the cross that day, I was on his mind. I sing that and almost, that's the only part I know. If you know it, I'd like to learn it. Isn't that a beautiful thought? How many know that God has the capacity to love each person as if there was nobody else for him to love? And when Jesus on the cross, you were on his mind as if there was nobody else for him to think about. He's infinite. He can do that. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was thinking about you by name. And he says, I'm doing it. I'm doing it for Bob. And when I finished that Bible study, I asked her, I says, do you understand how Jesus saves people? That all your badness will not keep God from saving you if you want him to save you? He can save you right now. I says, do you want to accept the gift of eternal life that Jesus died on Calvary to give you? And she says, can I really do that even now? And I said, there's nothing that God wants to do more. Of all the things that Jesus died for, he died for that, number one. I says, we have, we have only partial faith. We, we pray about when we're sick that God will cure us. And we have fatal disease. We want, we're asking for chump change. You know, there were two thieves on the cross, and the one says, give me a few more years. And the other one says, give me eternity. And the guy who asked for a few more years was just asking for chump change, wasn't he? Jesus didn't come down here and die on the cross to give you four or five or 10 or 15 or 20 more years of life to cure you of cancer. He came down here to give you eternal life. And when you have eternal life, if he takes off 10 or 15 years, you die. So, haven't I said that? Have a good eternity. Then if you have a bad day, you can say, so what? That's chump change. 
And so I said to her, if you really want to accept Jesus as your Savior, there is a prayer that I can pray with you, and it's very much like the wedding vows that we're going to have tonight. Only this is a more important vow than the one that Tom and Tess are going to give tonight. This is one that has to do with eternity, not just till death do we part. Because the vow that you take to Jesus, it, does, it says it doesn't matter if you die or not. You're still his child. And I'm going to read you a prayer that Ellen White said that you can pray. Now, how many have I given one of my cards to? If you don't have one, harass me. And uh, I'll have Bill run some off on the machine back there. Because that prayer is on this card. And I'm going to read what it says. I should need my glass. Here it is. Ellen White says this. This is strange because most people love Ellen White think that she doesn't say this kind of stuff. But I'm going to read it. Here it is. The perishing sinner. Who's a perishing sinner? All right. If you recognize you're a perishing sinner, here's what you can say. The perishing sinner may say, I'm a lost sinner. But Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I am a sinner. And he died on Calvary's cross to save me. I need not remain a moment longer unsaved. Did you hear that? I need not remain a moment longer unsaved. He died and rose again for my justification, and he will save me now. Now, with this lady, I added a few words to that. It says, I believe, Jesus, that when you died, you died for me, personally, individually. And I thank you for your gift of eternal life. I'm not worthy of it, but I thank you for it. Amen. And she prayed that prayer. And when she had finished, I had my Bible open to John chapter 6. Open yours there. John chapter 6. Now, as you study through John chapter 6, you'll discover that this is where Jesus had fed the 5,000 and he was talking about, I'm the bread of life, and he that eats my blood, drinks my blood, and eats my flesh has eternal life in him. And when you get down to verse 47, Jesus says, Verily, verily. How many know what verily, verily means? This is true. Truly, truly, I'm saying to you, he that believes on me does what? Hath eternal life. That's present tense. And so I had to read that. And I said to her in that prayer, did you just tell Jesus that you accepted him? And she said, yes, I did. Then I said, according to the words of Jesus right here, do you have eternal life right now? And she looked at the text and a tear started running down her cheek. And she's, can it be possible? An hour before, she'd been saying, I'm the worst of sinners. I've broken all the Ten Commandments and I want to kill my husband. And an hour later, she'd heard the story of Jesus, kind of like the Ethiopian heard Isaiah 53, and he says, what prevents me from being baptized right now? And she says, can it be possible? I says, what does it say? It says, if you accept Jesus, which I've just done, eternal life is yours. So I says, back up one page, John 5, 24, and you'll discover when something's really important in the Bible, it'll be, it'll be the same thing twice, very close to each other. John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him whom he hath sent hath everlasting life and will not come into condemnation but is passed from death to life. And so I ask her again, in that prayer, did you tell Jesus that you accepted him and that you believed on him? She said, yes, I did. Then I said, according to the words of Jesus right here, have you passed from death to life right now today? And she says, yes, I have. So he says, look up one more text in John. John chapter 1 and verse 12. Verily, verily, I send you. That's not quite it. To him, 
that received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I said, did you just become a child of God? And she says, I am a child of God. I showed her a few more texts. I had prayer with her again. I gave her steps to Christ. Let me recommend that. Read it again. I says, read this. It'll help you understand this more completely. So she did. We were starting evangelistic meetings that night. She came. I wanted to ask her, is it working? But I didn't. I'll tell you why I didn't. I don't believe in righteousness by embarrassment. You know, the preacher comes around. You know that sin we talked about? How are you coming with it? You don't want the preacher to come around, do you? And when people use any other motive to try to get you to be good other than joy and love and peace and grace in Jesus Christ, you don't want them to come around. Am I right? So anyway, I didn't ask her. And she came every night. We were having meetings every night, seven nights that week. She came every night, and every night she'd shake my hand quickly. And I didn't get back to her house because I was after the people that weren't coming to the meetings. And she'd shake my hand and hurry out the door, and I thought, she's still smoking. She doesn't want me to ask. And for a week, I thought, you know, I had never said that to anybody. That's why the sermon is titled, I Can't Believe I Said That. How many can believe? Oh, I didn't say it yet. I'm getting there. Anyway. I have left part out. Oh, I have left part out. You know what? I just, I'm trying to get done with this. I got to back up. I went, oh, I went to her house and I knocked on the door. This was three days after the Bible, the first Bible. No, it was three weeks. Anyway, it doesn't make any difference. I went to the door and I could tell by the look on her face she was still smoking. And I didn't ask her. I didn't say, how's it going? I'll tell you what I said to her. Boy, I'm glad I didn't leave this part out. Are you ready for it now? I looked at her face. I knew she was still smoking. I knew she was afraid I was going to ask her and embarrass her. And so I said to her, Pat, that's her name, Pat, I don't want you to try to quit smoking anymore. Now, that's the, the title of the sermon. I can't believe I said that. How many agree? Here's an Adventist preacher. You know what it says in the baptismal vows about quitting your smoking. You know the Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and you're not supposed to put tar and nicotine in the temple of the Holy Right? You all know that, don't you? And here is this guy who's encouraging people to take care of their bodies and saying to this lady, I don't want you to try to quit smoking anymore. She was shocked. I was shocked. How many would how many be shocked if I came along and I said to you, I don't want you to try to quit sinning anymore? How many would call the conference and get me fired? But I do say that. I don't want you to use your willpower to try not to sin. Go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. While you're getting there, I'll tell you what it says. It says, He that abides in him sinneth not. And for years I looked at that and I tried to figure out what it meant not to sin because I knew that not sinning was impossible. And I was trying to figure out what does it mean not to sin until finally one day the Holy Spirit says, Why don't you try to figure out what it means to abide in Jesus? Does that make sense? Because it says, When you're abiding in Jesus... You won't do this. And when someone has done something awful, you know, and they see the preacher coming, they go, oh, no. And I will go to them, and I will say, look in 1 John 3, 6, he that abides in him. I said, had you been invited in Jesus, you wouldn't have done what you did. Is that right? Well, that's what it says here. So I says, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help you to abide in Jesus. Because people who abide in Jesus don't do those things. How many think that should be our attitude to people when they have problems? 
instead of embarrassing them or straighten them out and threaten them, say, I want you to have, I want you to abide in Jesus. And you back up two verses, every man that has his hope in him does what? 1 John 3, 3. Every man that has his hope in him does what? See, I make the people, the last church, I made people memorize that. Every man that has his hope in him purifies himself. So what do I want? What do we all want to do for sinners? We want to give them hope because everybody who has hope does, does what? They purify them. It's not you purifying them. It's the hope of Jesus in them that causes them. Affirm these things constantly. They'll be careful to maintain good works. Amen? And that's what I say to people who, who fall into sin. I want you to have hope in you. It's the only way that this guy has strength not to do it. So anyway, I said to Pat, I don't want you to try to quit smoking anymore. I don't want you to try to quit sin anymore. I want you to abide in Jesus. I said, every time you're tempted to smoke, I want you to use your willpower to start saying, Jesus, thank you for having given to me the gift of eternal life. And she says, well, how can I, how can I believe I have eternal life when I can't so it quit smoking? And I said, how will you ever quit smoking if you don't believe you have eternal life? How can I have hope when I can't quit sinning? How will you ever stop sinning if you don't have hope? Do you have to quit sinning in order to have hope, or do you have to have hope in order to quit sinning? And in my card, the first thing I say, if you're not home, I'll leave one on your door one of these days. Dear friend, I have good news for you. You do not have to be good in order to have salvation. You have to have salvation in order to be good. Amen? And that's, that's been my job for 30. I've been a preacher for 42 and a half years but for about 35 years, I've been preaching this. I want people to have hope. I want you. The reason I believe that God let me come to the Fox Valley District because there's people here in this church who don't have hope. And I want them to have hope. I want you to think about what Jesus has done for you, not what other people have done to you. I want you to think about what Jesus has done for you and what he's doing for you right now and what he's going to do. So that's what I said to this lady. Don't use your willpower to try not to smoke. I want you to use your willpower to start thanking Jesus for having saved you. I says, will you do that even if you forget to do it? And you stick the thing in your mouth and you set fire to it and start blowing smoke all over the place. Even if you have to say it with smoke coming by your vocal cords. I want you to say, Jesus, thank you for having saved me. I said to Pat, will you do that? All right, she says, I will do that. That night she came to me and I wanted to ask her, is it working? I didn't ask. The next night, I didn't ask. A week went by. I didn't ask. I was on pins and needles. And I thought, well, she's still smoking and she doesn't want to be embarrassed. But she came to all the meetings. And on the seventh night, she was there and she came out and shook my hand quickly and went on out. And I thought, well, she's still smoking. She's afraid I'll ask. How's it going? I want you to know I won't do that to you because I want you to have hope, not embarrassment. But that seventh night, she came out And on the sidewalk in front of the auditorium was standing another lady, and I knew she had the same problem that Pat had. And I was already talking to somebody else, and that was before I needed hearing aids. By the way, did my wife come to church? She let me off and went home to get stuff. All right. Don't try to talk to me until she sees me because she's got my new hearing aid. It does work. But one-on-one, I can hear you. Two and three, I can't. Anyway, I didn't need it yet. And I was already talking to somebody else. How many of you heard that happen? Somebody's talking to you, and there's someone over here you want to hear what's going on. You try to be nice, but I tuned my good ear over there, and I heard Pat saying to this other lady, don't try to quit smoking anymore. She says it won't do any good. She says after this, when you're tempted to smoke, use your willpower to start thanking Jesus for having saved you. She says that's what I've been doing. I haven't smoked for a week, and I know I'll never smoke again. I checked up on her later. Because she didn't join my church. You know why she didn't join my church? Because she not only found strength to overcome smoking, 
she thought, I have got something now I can share with my husband, and we don't need to end our marriage because I have a source of joy and love and peace that I can share with him. So she moved back to Casper, 120 miles away, and brought her marriage back together. Can Jesus do that? And every time she was tempted to get mad at her husband because the things she'd get mad about, she'd start thanking Jesus for having saved her, and she'd calm down, and she could have an era of peace around her. Haven't you ever heard a soft answer turns away? Wrath. So she moved back to her husband. So a few months later, I saw the pastor of the Casper Church, and I said, have you met Pat? Oh, yeah. He said, she joined my church. I says, does she have a problem with smoking? No. He says, she helps other people quit smoking. And she doesn't even use the five-day plan to do it with. Now, I still believe in the five-day plan, but I know there are people who have such weak wills that even the five-day plan can't help. But there's power in the blood. Amen? Fifteen years later, I already knew some of you by then because I had gone from Wyoming to Illinois, and I was in Wisconsin, and we were on vacation. And we went out to see the Rocky Mountains. How many like to go out and see the Rocky Mountains when you're on vacation? And we camped in the mountains above Casper, Wyoming. They have the camp meeting up there, beautiful up there. And for Sabbath, we came down the mountain and went to church there. And I was hoping I'd see Pat that day. It had been 15 years. And uh, Pat wasn't there. But I asked around, and she and her husband, her husband was in the oil business, and he'd moved to Alaska. And uh, the pastor was at the other church that day, and the elder was going to preach, and someone went up to the elder and says, you know, there's a pastor he used to, I never pastored that church, but I pastored in that conference. So he came up and asked me, would you be willing to preach? And I thought, willing's not the right word. Try eager. Because I like to tell good stories. I like to give people hope. So I told, I preached, and I told about Pat, and there were people there, and I says, did she ever go back smoking? And there were people in the congregation raising hand. Pat helped me to quit smoking by showing me how you can trust in Jesus. Now, there are two things. At the very moment, I heard Pat say that other lady, don't try to quit smoking more. It won't do any good. I haven't smoked for a week because I do this. And when I heard her say that, two things immediately came to mind. The first one was, hmm, I wonder if that would work on my bad habits. <laughs> and the second thing I thought was, first time in my life, the possibility of living on this earth without sinning occurred to me. And I told this story to a Pentecostal pastor. And then we read the text that says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know what that Pentecostal pastor said to me? If perfection were possible, it would have to be that way. Because the only thing I know to give me victory, and, and isn't it true that we win the victory not in refusing to do the sin, we win the victory before that, refusing to think about it. And you know that if they, the last commandment, does anybody know what the 10th commandment is? Thou shalt not covet. How do you covet? How do you covet? Can you be sitting right here in church and covet? Yeah, because coveting, coveting is, is just a sign you're not close to Jesus because there's dissatisfaction with your lot in life. And if you think that if your lot could be as good as their lot, if I could have what they have, then I would be happy. And the reason that's a sin is because Jesus wants you to know whether or not you're abiding in him. Because when you're abiding in him, it says, be content with whatsoever things you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And if my life is in God's hands, I don't care what other happens to me. If I'm in God's hand, it's okay. I can remember people talking to me, and I sometimes worry about this, you know. People get your social security number and your telephone number. How many have gone in and they ask you your phone number, and you give them your phone number, and they can tell your name and your address just from your phone number? And worries a little bit. Boy, what if they get your social security number? And I worry about that. 
I take precautions to make sure that the wrong people don't get that. But I know this. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such several things you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, so that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid of what man shall do to me. And I tell people, if my name is in God's book, I really don't have anything to worry about. Amen? And we worry about the time of trouble coming. And if you're not close to Jesus, you have all right to worry. But if you're abiding in Jesus, then you can look at the time of trouble. I was born during the Second World War. Anybody else here born while the Second World War was raging? 1943. That was about the time when uh, the Nazis were just bombing the life out of, of Britain. And every night they would come over and bomb. And Winston Churchill got up and he made a speech. And he said, if England should last a thousand years, this will be known as her finest hour. There is a relationship with Jesus Christ that is so sweet and so good that when you're thrown into the fiery furnace, you can look around and say, I'd rather be in the furnace with Jesus than any place else without him. And when those young men got thrown in the fiery furnace, you know what it was? Because there was something that got burned, and it wasn't just the soldiers. Do you know what it was that got burned in the fiery furnace? The ropes that bound them. And we can look forward to the time of trouble. And it is going to be a time. And we are going to be tested. But we can say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid of what man shall do to me. And I know that if it's God's will to let me die like it was with John the Baptist, got his head cut off, what's the very next thing John the Baptist knew? I mean, he heard the soldiers coming down the stairs. He saw the sword. Next thing he knew, Jesus is here, right? Next thing he's going to know, Jesus is here. Head back on. New body, not in jail. Don't you know that Jesus wants you to walk around with that thought in your head? You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But he wants you to walk around with that head, with that thought in your head. If I get in my car and head home and I get in a big old wreck and I get killed, the next thing I'm going to know Jesus is going to be here. He's going to take me to heaven. I don't deserve it. I'll never deserve it. But you'll discover if you start entertaining that thought and rejoicing it constantly. You'll discover that there's a place of quiet rest and it's near the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest. It's near the heart of God. Oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before thee near the heart of God. Dear Jesus, we know that we have an enemy. And it says of him he's constantly seeking to steal away the blessed assurances of Jesus. And the reason he's doing that is because he does not want us to have something we can think about rather than thinking about what Satan wants us to think about. So Jesus, every time he comes, help us to point him to the cross and say, Jesus has done that for me. And when he reminds us of our past, help us to remind him of his future and help us to remind him of what Jesus has done to save us. And that as your servant Ellen White says, he will save me. Now, this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.